Hello and welcome to another episode of the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host Richard McKenzie out of the greater Cincinnati area. And today's episode we are going to be talking about a cute, very cute, did I say cute? I meant cute, quaint, quaint and cute and in a cool area in Cincinnati. House, that's a mouthful. And I got to inspect this for some friends. That makes it even more special. So we had one of these situations where the friends uh, were in a buying situation that to get the house, they had to weigh their risks and skip the inspection to buy the house. So after living in it for a while, they decide to call me and have me come inspect it. And essentially, uh, after getting past nervousness, I'm sure, and all that good stuff, um, find out what honeydew list, what things there are left to do uh, that would uh, improve the house even further and hopefully find no bad stuff that is extraordinarily expensive that they, they didn't see when they were walking through the house uh, during showing. Okay, so I will say this. I looked up the picture in the uh, dictionary uh, next to the word uh, cute house, and sure enough, this house came up. Uh, I can't prove it because after you've looked it up, it kind of disappears and you can't prove to your friends that that picture was indeed there. But rest assured, when I looked up the the words cute house, um, this house was there. So really cool. All right, well, let's get started. It is a two-bedroom, one bath. It does have a Cape Cod-style upstairs that you basically can call each side of the upstairs a bedroom and provides more space, more living space. And so this is, I would say, kind of a um, craftsman, arts and crafts style, 1915, um, uh, really cute architected house. Okay. It is a vinyl house with a poured foundation on a little bit of a hill, probably about a four foot high lot, maybe five foot high, that slopes downward a little bit. And in the backyard has a fence um, cutting the property around two trees. Those trees were a little bit of a problem because they're pushing into the rear fence. That was one of the findings in the report. They're on the neighbor's property, but they're pushing the neighbor's fence into their yard and I think in the middle of the night, one of the one of the frame boards on one of the sections of that fence, there might be a pop in the middle of the night when it finally does give, because um, some of those boards were did have a good bit of pressure on them. Um, so that's one of the findings. And, um, and then you have concrete driveway going into a one-car garage that was built afterwards. Uh, really nicely done garage. Very typical slab floor that probably in the 1940s perhaps was poured, maybe 50s. Probably a three-inch slab and may not have rebar in it. Therefore, it does have a couple of cracks in it here or there. Um, Not anything that affected the performance of the garage. And the roof was the same roof as the rest of the house, which fortunately is less than five years old. Now, it was a really good roof installation, had the supporting flashing on the rake edges of the roof and on the front, 
Um, that's pretty rare to see. They really use some heavy-duty flashing around the plumbing stacks and the chimney, chimney flashing. What they didn't do, however, was to seal those screws with some black tar-based um, roofing sealant. Notice I didn't say roof cement. You shouldn't put the gray roof cement on any shingles, especially rubber membrane roofs, because that causes issues and will deteriorate the roof, actually. Okay, <clears throat> so outside, um, gutter downspouts were extended pretty well. Uh, and the two front ones, I suggested to the buyer, the owner, to extend those even further because you really want water not just three feet away from the foundation, but probably five to seven. Yeah, I would even probably dig underneath the sidewalk, take some black plastic four-inch corrugated uh, tubing, shove it underneath, or excuse me, in, on the ends of those gutter downspouts, a good ways, maybe 12 inches up, so that if the ground ever does move or they get pulled away a little bit, you're not going to have a gap with the gutter downspouts. Go underneath the sidewalk, have that empty out down the slope of the yard, so that you really are taking all that water from the front roof. And that would be all of it, because those two gutter downspouts take um, the right half and the left half of the water uh, coming off that roof, and they will then discharge it away from the house. Um, the garage, again, uh, had an uh, exit door to the back. There was a little patio, and the air conditioner was back there. Air conditioner was probably the biggest finding of this property. It, it's not necessarily a problem. It's just that the age of it is 19 years. And as I've mentioned before in other episodes, the average life of, a, of an air conditioner, compressor, outdoor unit is about 15 to 20 years. And as such, this was 19 years old. So you're right there at the upper edges of the lifespan of that air conditioner. And at very minimum, need to have it serviced and cleaned by a qualified HVHC technician. And then the furnace as well. Furnace is the same age. Um, however, furnace life is about 20 to 25 years. I know I may get some debate on that, but there is typically about a five-year difference. And therefore... By and large, you shouldn't let an HVAC technician talk you into replacing both of them at the same time. You can offset that, and in kind of a Dave Ramsey budgeting aspect, uh, hopefully have five years to save up to replace the furnace so that you don't have to be so impinged uh, at once to replace both of them. So I also recommended to, there was a lot of mud around the air conditioner, and that's just going to splash onto the cooling coils. Um, so keeping the air conditioner flat so it doesn't, doesn't slope one way or the other, and adding rocks for a good 12 to 18 inch skirting around it to keep mud from splashing on it will be a good thing. And then hopefully you can get a little few more years out of that if possible. <clears throat> now, because it was less than 60 degrees at the time of the inspection here in December, when doing this podcast and same day I did the inspection uh, weren't able to run the air conditioner so we really don't know if it cools well or not so that's something you definitely want to have the HVAC technician check out how much coolant you have in the system and if more is needed and so forth and so on all right um, on the front steps there was a nice railing going up there is a four inch post that had some rot that needs to be replaced um, really weren't any 
atypical cracks on the foundation. There was one on the front, near the front downspout, and it was a vertical crack, very hairline, eighth of an inch or less wide, and really didn't even look like it was weeping in the basement where it, where it came out in the basement. So sealing that maybe with some concrete caulk, just something to keep surface water out. Uh, maybe you want to dig down a few inches and uh, squeeze some into that crack. And hopefully that will, and then in the basement to do the same thing from the inside out, hopefully that will keep out most, if not all of the uh, water that may want to seep in there at some point. Okay, so on the outside, let's see if there was anything else. I don't think there was anything else noteworthy. The grating was really good. It was uh, better than flat, while the water seems to be flowing away from the house. So um, <clears throat> we come on inside the house, starting from the front, and there is a three-season room. I say three-season because in the middle of winter, there didn't seem to be a heat source in there, so you can't call it a four-season room, but I suppose that could be ducted if desired in the future, and that could end up being additional square feet added to the house. Um, tested the outlets and the electric has been updated very nicely in fact and all of the outlets except for one were grounded and we noted the one on the second floor that was a two-prong outlet that can be just swap switched out with a GFCI receptacle by a licensed electrician and then you'll have all your outlets uh, pretty well safe three-prong and all the GFCIs at the kitchen sinks, the bathroom, they are all in place, so that's great. Um, all the kitchen appliances uh, function very well. There was something in this house that I've never seen before in all these years of doing inspection. Somehow the kitchen sink is installed and the dishwasher is directly under the kitchen sink. I don't know how there was enough room to put it. I, I just can't even visualize where the basin for the sink disappeared to if it's not cutting into the top of the dishwasher. But it works fine and it is as it is, as they say. Um, <laughs> I've just never seen that before. I would like to see a drawing and I probably will research that on the internet just for posterity and for my own edification as to see how that's done so I can maybe offer that as a solution for future people when they are running out of space in their kitchen they need to put a dishwasher in. All right, without further ado, we continue on. Um, so the first, uh, first floor, the bathroom was all fine, water pressure's fine. For a 1915 house, some things we might be looking for would be some galvanized steel water piping. That was not in this house, it was all copper. The water main was not lead, it was copper, so that's great. Um, so that's like a $3,000 repair replacement that doesn't need to happen. Also, the drain pipes are already replaced with PVC, so you don't have cast iron. And I did inquire of the homeowner uh, as far as how the toilets are flushing, how the sinks are draining. Um, no backups, no slowness, so replacing all that cast iron and not having any big trees in the front yard that are in the path of the 
<coughs> sewer going from the house out to the uh, underneath the street into the into the sewer. Um, no impediments there. Now, if they were, I would have um, suggested, and I would have probably run the water a lot longer to see if there were any impediments, and then I would have suggested to have a qualified slash licensed plumber to snake out the four-inch sewer line and to verify that from the clean-out all the way into the street to make sure there's no roots and other things. Um, there was a, there is a good bit of bamboo growing in the neighbor's yard, and some of it has broached the property line and has creeped over. That's certainly something to keep out of the way so that doesn't impinge upon the sewer line as well but that would have to traverse over the driveway in order to get there so don't think that's going to happen um bamboo is invasive but i don't think it's invasive enough to grow on top of a driveway or grow under it so that's probably all good all right so the second floor going up to the second floor we noted a few of thermal seal failures so i believe there was a total of one two three four five in the house and thermal seal failures are where the gasket in between a vinyl replacement window two panes of glass has failed and what does it mean failed it just means that it has a um a way a pinhole leak or maybe the, the gasket has um stretched or expanded from the sun hitting it expanding and shrinking um and has allowed moisture to seep in in between the two panes of glass and in the middle of winter when it's like 20 degrees 15 degrees outside that will get all really cloudy and white and you won't be able to really see through um it will look like uh, well it just doesn't look good i mean i don't have any other way to say it, it looks like you have a cloud inside your window um, does it change the ability to block out the wind and water and all that stuff no nor does it change the insulative R value of the of the window, but it does just not look good, and that's really about it. Um, fewer and fewer technicians now are repairing those. They used to be able to drill a hole in it and suck that out, dry it out, and plug it with some silicon or whatever, but they don't really do that anymore. Uh, basically, they just replace the window sash or the glass itself. So. That would be something to look into. There's several companies in our area that do that, if you so desire to do that. Okay. Um, oh, I did fail to mention the fireplace on the first floor is a shallow, formerly coal or gas, shallow, shallow, very small fireplace. And that has been capped as far as the gas line and the damper has been sealed. And because there is a high efficiency furnace, and there is an electric water heater. The fireplace flue for the chimney is no longer needed. So that actually can be capped. So if you want to do a fireplace, the best thing to do would be to have a qualified fireplace technician install a gas, vent-free, high-efficiency fireplace appliance, which does not need to be vented because it is high-efficiency which means that there is not enough carbon monoxide left over from that uh, burning of that natural gas to leave something dangerous behind. All right, so second floor, um, really well used space, uh, very nicely designed house, and uh, the attic in back of the right-hand side of the house 
had about four to six inches of rock mineral wool in the uh, ceiling joists, which are the floor joists of the second floor, and that can be improved to 12 to 14 inches. Since there was no visible knob and tube wiring, which you'd never want to pile anything on top of because it is air-cooled, you can pile up pretty much what you want in that attic, um, except for where the floorboards are because obviously you want to store stuff on those and you don't want to cover those with insulation. But everywhere else you can pretty much maybe build some cardboard walls, staple gun those around, and install some fiberglass to the tune of 12 to 14 inches total. And then on the back side of the attic door, you want to put some maybe one inch Tyvex foam insulation with some weather stripping so that you are able to keep the door from shedding heat into that attic, whereby wasting money and making your house cooler. Okay, so that's how to deal with that. Um, if you're getting the impression that the house inspected very well, it indeed did. Uh, hardwood floors on the first floor, carpet on the second. There's probably hardwood floors, if not pine, underneath um, the carpet on the second floor. But of course you want it a little bit quieter and therefore most people keep the carpet on the second floor instead of going ahead and using it. Um, now on the second floor, just a little bit of history. Um, why did I say pine on the second floor? Because commonly the best wood for the guests, for your uh, more visible to the general population or the people you have come over, would see your hardwood floors on the first floor, but they probably wouldn't go to the second floor. So the lesser quality wood was always used on the second floor, and on the third floor of some very large uh, Cincinnati Victorian mansions, you may even see some six-inch wide, very knotty pine wood, um, and, and sometimes some of these larger places had maybe uh, some uh, house help servants or whatever um, butlers and maids that lived in the house and they actually lived on the upper floors so that's how that came about just a little FYI and um, the upstairs did have supplied heat and cool um, but I will say the best thing for the second floor of Cape Cod style houses like this is to keep really good blinds on the windows. Aluminum blinds actually cut the, the sun, especially in the summer, because the second floor's um, supply of cooling and heat is always going to be less because your return generally is going to be just the stairs opening for the air flowing. It's not going to have a cold air return a lot of times. Sometimes they do have it, it just costs a good bit and it takes a good design by an HVAC technician to be able to implement such a design. Okay, hope that makes sense. So, um, the upstairs is going to be a little warmer in the summer and so having aluminum blinds on the windows really does help block the sun. That's probably the best thing you can do. So if there's four windows upstairs, for example, on the second floor, then spending the $40 blinds, uh, each blind instead of, you know, the $10, $15 plastic blinds is a good idea. So that left what? That leaves the basement. So what do we have in the basement? We have, we have steel lally columns, which are screwed into five joist wide built beams that are constructed by five joists side by side in parallel, making for a very strong house 
There was no spreading of those joists. The joists that were uh, perpendicular to that running front to back of the house, those seemed to be well installed, well stable. Um, this, like I said, this house was really well built. I would say it was a craftsman style house. Um, it possibly could have been a Sears house, but I didn't see a sticker or not a sticker, but the document uh, which label would have been stapled to the stairs um, sometimes um, so that wasn't present so I don't know if it was a Sears house probably not um, but it was very reminiscent of one because it was very well built um, some other things about the uh, basement um, it was um, there was no smell down there what do I mean? I mean, the, 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 the smell that you know when you have a moisture issue. Because all we had was the little micro hairline crack on the front running vertically that really wasn't weeping. You have an open basement with no compartmentalization, although in between the washer and the dryer, they certainly could build a bathroom there, if at minimum, a toilet and a sink. So you could have a one and a half bath. I'm sure a shower could also be designed. Now, there's going to be some necessary cutting into the concrete to tie into the four-inch main drain. That's going to be some of the expensive work that needs to happen for that to, to be done. But it absolutely is doable. And in the basement, too, we had a 200-amp panel. So for a 1,100-square-foot house, plenty, plenty, plenty of power for the house. Okay, and water heater was four years old, 40 gallon. Now, if you had a second bathroom, the 40 gallon with, uh, depending on the size of the family, um, might need to increase to a 50 gallon water heater, but you probably can get by by the 40 gallon one. Um, it really depends on how long people take showers, how much laundry you're doing, how often you use the dishwasher, and what times during the day those are done. Um, that, could, that could pull on that water heater quite a bit. Uh, I'm just saying. Okay, um, gosh, uh, this house, what can I say? It was just built very well. Big beefy joists on top of the beam and Two nice beefy steel lally columns, um, no shifting ground, no uh, walls shifting, no cracks, nothing weird going on here. Just a well-built craftsman, arts and crafts style house that should be here for many happy years to come. And I hope this has given you some good information about what to look for when you're buying a house typical like this. Um, smaller house that um, has a lot of character and uh, is just very well built. So without further ado, this has been the Successful Home Ownership Show with your host Richard McKenzie and I thank you for listening.